This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Thursday, March 30th. The forecast for today looks like it's going to be clear skies this morning, maybe a bit of cloud later on this afternoon. Today's high is 6 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Mitzi Hunter joining the crowded mayor's race. Meanwhile, rival candidate Brad Bradford is here at 635. Number two, Toronto's deputy mayor is warning of coming service cuts. Number three, growing calls for cell service in Toronto's subway. Number four, city council looking at drinking in public parks. And number five, the Blue Jays open their season in St. Louis. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Hey, look at that. It's Thursday. This week, it's just one day after another. Sorry, with all due credit to uh, Sean Keane. Unfortunately, uh, the late Sean Keane, a Montreal comedian who had the best deadpan. And he would say, this week, it just seems like it's one day after another. But here we are. It's Thursday. And I wish I could tell you that the forecast was amazing. But because, uh, you know, yesterday didn't turn into a crap show, but it certainly wasn't the most pleasant of days. And the wind really bit. And I think most of us are sick and tired of how reluctant winter is to uh, shake off this mortal coil. Uh, but we do have a mixture of sun and cloud and a high of six today. So not bad, just a couple of degrees below what we would expect this time of year. So uh, lots of stuff to talk about this morning, including the mayor's race getting even bigger. Mitzi Hunter confirming that she is going to run. And we, I mean, there was enough, there was more than throat clearing previously. Uh, it looked like she was going to run. She said she was going to resign as an MPP, which she is required to do. But now she has confirmed absolutely that on the 3rd of April, she and a whole bunch of other people are going to show up, sign their paperwork, hand over whatever money is required, um, offer their signatures, and away we go. And meanwhile, in the mayor's race, looking forward to a conversation this morning with Brad Bradford, who is going to be in studio. He confirmed yesterday morning, yes, absolutely, he's running. And so we'll have a chat with him. Lots of things to touch on because there's a lot of stuff going on at Toronto City Council. Um, but I think public security and safety on the TTC are probably going to be the leading issues in this mayor's race. And Brad Bradford actually voted along with Josh Matlow to cut the police budget. And I, you know what, Josh Matlow uses the words or uses the phrase defund the police. But I also think that that has been torqued in some quarters to the idea of abolish the police. And there are a couple of whack job people, activists and others who actually say, no, we shouldn't have police departments or we should take away all the money. And that's ridiculous. It's a non-starter. So let's leave it alone. But, you know, what's funny is even the people who mock the activists who use the phrase defund the police talk about we need more social workers. We need more people to engage the homeless and the men, people with mental health issues so that police can be involved in other activities. And I can't tell you the number of times I'll be out on the streets, either driving or walking, 
And I will see police officers interacting with a person who is very clearly altered and disturbed. And I just think of the time and resource and money, because police officers are fairly well paid and they should be. But, you know, you watch this interaction and you think, okay, here's two officers who were called to a scene, probably 10 minutes to the scene, probably a 15 minute uh, discussion and negotiation with this particular individual, followed by the possibility of having to put them in the cruiser and take them to a hospital or take them to a homeless shelter. And, you know, that's like 45 minutes to an hour. And I know from talking to some police officers, for some of them, it's like a daily encounter with the same person. So, yeah, if we could take that money and resource and time, and instead of it being a $90,000 a year police officer, I don't know what social workers make. Maybe if you're a social worker, you can let me know. Uh, you can always text us at 71010. Um, but I'm pretty sure they make less. And if their entire job, rather than a police officer who has to go to a bank robbery and a domestic dispute and various other things, if it is somebody who nine to five is working on trying to bring people to a better place, um, you know, then let's, let's do it. But anyway, this is not for me to decide. This is for the uh, the people like Brad Bradford. Uh, we'll talk about that and various other things. Brad Bradford also is uh, came into some degree of criticism, and I'm not sure it's entirely um, deserved, but for posting a video about safety on the TTC so quickly after that stabbing on Saturday. And I guess some people could see that as opportunistic. Other people would say, no, he's simply speaking to the number one concern, I think, right now of Torontonians, which is that it's not safe to be on our public transit system. It's barely safe to be on our streets. So is it opportunistic or is it actually appealing to precisely what Torontonians want us to be talking about? Uh, I love the timing of things some days. I guess it's because we have so many people who are, you know, have relevant jobs. Um, so they appear on our roundtables. And today, uh, City Councilor Shelley Carroll, weekly, Thursdays, appears on round one. So we can definitely ask her about the mayor's race taking shape. But uh, more importantly, she's co-sponsor of a piece of legislation at Toronto City Council that would allow us to drink in public parks. And to come back to Josh Matlow, uh, he proposed this last year, but John Tory shot it down. And I'm, I, I just, I'm not of the mind that if we allow somebody to have a beer in a public park, or if somebody can uncork a wine and share it with four other people while sitting on a blanket at Trinity Bellwoods, that this is going to lead to dancing. Let's say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore about what Toronto's talking about. John, good morning. So we heard from Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey yesterday uh, criticizing the lack of support for Toronto in the federal budget. She's saying that we could really start paying for things uh, come 2024. 
Yeah, it's feeling a lot like the mid-1970s in New York City where Gerald Ford, the president of the United States, said, you know what, I'm not going to bail you guys out. And that gave way to the famous headline, Ford to New York, drop dead. Well, it seems that Trudeau and Ford to Toronto drop dead. Mm. And we're in a pretty big pinch. I mean, we have a budget shortfall already. And then we have all of the money that we spent during COVID. We were hoping the government was going to bail us out. So, yeah, absolutely. As you said, the deputy mayor saying that we could get to the point where we can't repair potholes, where we have to cut the TTC even further. This city has a real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and given the recent violence, uh, you know, and the death of that teenager we saw on the TTC, there are now calls for cell phone service on the TTC, and it looks like uh, there is a deal that exists between BIA and another phone carrier, but it sounds a little complicated. This has been an issue that's been simmering for a few years, and here's the real problem is the license to put in the hardware in the Toronto subway system was given to one provider, but then the major cell phone provider said that they didn't want to subscribe to that in order to provide us service. So there's only one, uh, you know, line or, or product line where you can actually get service on cell, and then the rest of us on Rogers, Bell, and TELUS are not getting it. But uh, this is becoming a public security issue. I think that the pressure is on, and I think there could be some pretty important developments on this story within the next few days. Okay, and uh, let's talk about this. Uh, yesterday, we, we saw that AI-rendered photo of the Pope in the puffy white jacket. Now Elon Musk and other leading scientists Scientists are calling for a halt to the AI race sparked by ChatGPT. Do you feel like you're in a, a, a kind of a science fiction movie? I mean, we have the leading tech experts of our time, including Steve Wozniak, Elon Musk, and others, and they're saying that they want a six-month pause on uh, artificial intelligence because they feel that it's galloping along and things are getting out of control. And, you know, just this week, Jennifer, we were playing a sample of a computer-generated FM radio host, and mm. it didn't actually sound like much of a winner, but apparently there are like a thousand stations in the States that are already planning on using it. So these guys are saying effectively, maybe they saw Terminator 2 a few too many times, <laughs> but we need to press the pause button. Yeah, and they're also saying that, you know, if this industry keeps going the way that it does, it will cost about, you know, several hundred million jobs, especially uh, the white-collar workers. That's at risk. So uh, we'll see what happens there, but it is it is something like out of a science fiction movie. Uh, turning to this now, <laughs> John, let's talk about Blue Jays and sports, because today is an exciting day. They open their season this afternoon in St. Louis against the Cardinals. Yeah, 4-10, and the game begins. Blue Jays against St. Louis, and the boys of summer are definitely ushering in spring. The home opener isn't going to happen for us until Tuesday, April 11th, and that's because renovations at the Rogers Center are still continuing. Okay, let's bring in Bill, because I know he's a baseball fan. Uh, Bill, are you excited for this? Our home opener is on April 11th. Yeah, I've already bought tickets. There's a number of things I'm excited for. I mean, we still have a lineup that uh, is second to none, and as long as we don't get uh, any more injuries, there's a little worried about uh, Vladdy for a while, but uh, you know I think he's looking in better shape. And uh, and, and the, the the Rogers Center as well. I bought tickets to the outfield district because I want to experience the game. There seems to be a return, uh, getting away from this distance between the fan and the players. It's kind of bringing them back. A lot of uh, stadiums have gone back to more field or, or open uh, venues. Mm -hmm. I think these changes are going to be phenomenal as you kind of walk around and experience the game in a different way. Kind of like I don't know if John was around for uh, uh, back when uh, they they played. I I'm thinking Jerry Park, but that's that's the Expos uh, Exhibition Stadium, where the where the Jays used. To, I know I'm dating myself. Do you remember those? 
back in the day? Did you ever go to a, a Games at the Exhibition? I, back in the day, I used to go to Jerry Park, and then I went to the Olympic Stadium, which unfortunately was a lousy venue yeah. for baseball. But my beloved uh, Montreal Expos, I still have the hat. Oh. Yes, yeah. Expos fans, die, you know, they die hard. Uh, boy, I remember that strike in 2004 was really kind of the initial nail in the coffin for them. But, uh, you know, there's still some hope. I, I think much, previous Montreal and, and Expos fans still, still hope and pray, right, John, that, that they're going to build that stadium somewhere downtown or something and <laughs> bring the Expos back from Washington. Who knows? Everything's a throwback Inshallah. these days. <laughs> we can hope and dream. All right, thank now, you. go Jays, go. Okay! That was uh, Bill Coulter weighing in, and yeah, I, wa I was looking at the schedule yesterday for the Blue Jays, and I thought, oh, let's take the whole team to see the home opener, but it's an evening game, and uh, without being too much of a wet blanket, I just, I can't do it anymore. I, when I went to see Hamilton, which incidentally is spectacular, but I went to see the Mervish production of Hamilton, the premiere for media. And I think I got to bed at like 11.15, and I get up at 2. So the next day was, um, I mean, the show, the show I'm sure, was fine. I'm, I have no idea. Come 9.01, people always say, what did you do on the show today? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but still, I was kind of wrecked. And so I'm going to wait for the first afternoon game. And then Nick Marano and Joe Cristiano will all go play baseball, and maybe we can take Bill along for the ride. Looks like April 26th might be a candidate because they play the Chicago White Sox. It's a 107 start. Okay. But also when I was looking at the schedule yesterday, an awful lot of the afternoon games I kept going through and they were like on Saturdays. And there's nothing wrong with going to a game on Saturday, but I like a weekday afternoon game. I yeah. Just... This will be uh, one on a Wednesday afternoon. Don't okay. want to hang out with us on the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's not get into this. Um, let's press the pause button because a few of the stories today kind of require context. Um, there are a few police involved stories, for example, and there's one, and we'll talk about this in greater detail on the other side, because we're going to take a break now and then we've got 530 headlines and the first check on traffic. Well, actually, it's not the first. We had one at 515. Um, but it's the story of a police officer who's kind of gotten away, possibly, allegedly, with something, because his part-time judge just couldn't get the job done. So it would seem that the field is now complete when it comes for who's running for mayor. Mitzi Hunter had already uh, said she was planning on running. Now she's officially revealed to the Toronto Star, and uh, we'll talk with her campaign today just to absolutely nail it down. But I, you know, people don't fib about this sort of thing. And she's going to run. And one of the things I find, you know, mildly compelling, because I don't really know, I, I haven't taken the measure, really, of all of these candidates. I'm really, I'm, I'm probably in the same pocket as you are. I am going to wait for the entire campaign to unfold and for there to be announcements and revelations and gaffes and debates and whatever else. And then when we get to the 26th of June, probably about 40% of us will actually go to the polls and choose the next mayor of Toronto. And I can't think of a more consequential election, actually, because this is a city, I believe, uh, in crisis. And the next mayor's got to figure out with hopefully the support of council 
how to fix this. We have a financial crisis. We have a public security crisis. We have a situation where who wants to ride the TTC anymore? And incidentally, we have another um, person who's been injured. There was an altercation aboard a TTC subway train yesterday. A uh, man was taken to the hospital, non-life-threatening injuries. But as Scott Reed said on Monday, you know, I'm not going to put my kids. He's got four sons of, um, of multiple ages. But no, I mean, I think one of his sons is a full-on adult. And then one of his little guys is still probably under the age of 10. And he said, I'm not going to put my kids on the TTC. And what parent would? So we have a city that needs some shock therapy, and we got to figure out who best to administer that. Uh, Brad Bradford is another candidate. He announced yesterday, but he's going to be on our show live in studio, I believe. Is he in studio, Joe Cristiano? Yes, he is. Okay. Uh, so he'll be here at 635. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So the mayor's race for Toronto does not begin until nominations open on the 3rd of April. But let's face it, people are already out of the gates. And as a matter of fact, I was saying yesterday morning, before we learned that Brad Bradford had declared that I thought maybe the train had already pulled out of the station for him, but he's running. I find it interesting, the number of significant candidates who are running. And in the case of Mitzi Hunter, I mean, she's quitting the job that she has to run for a job that she may not win. There's no consolation prize. When you run for the leadership of a party, like Leslin Lewis, Leslin Lewis was never going to win the leadership of the federal conservative party. However, by running, she ends up consolidating a bit of a, a force. And then when Pierre Polyev is elected prime minister, which in all likelihood will happen one day, she gets to be in cabinet, which is kind of a frightening idea because I find her to be a frightening uh, political figure. Um, but when you quit Queen's Park and run for mayor and possibly lose, then what do you do next? Although there is a certain genus of person, as we know, who will forever be in the public employee as either an elected official or they get appointed to something. Speaking of Pierre Polyev, I always say News Talk 1010 is where the talkers come to talk. And the leader of the opposition, leader of the federal conservatives, will be on the Jerry Agar show this morning at 1120 to talk about the budget. And I have to imagine, I really don't think I'm, you know, that much top of mind for Pierre Polyev, but Melissa Lansman, who's a friend and a frequent contributor here on News Talk 1010, um, convinced the leader's office to give me a nice seat for the speech, the presidential speech on Friday. And I imagine maybe Pierre Polyev and company thought I would be you know, nicer. I, I don't think I'm mean. I tend to make my observations about political figures, you know, objectively. Um, and so I didn't exactly uh, land on Monday with a flourish for Pierre Polyev. But uh, he's on Jerry Agar's show to talk about the budget. Like I said, I don't think he spends a lot of time thinking about me. At Toronto City Council yesterday, they went through the formal process of declaring the mayor's seat vacant. So um, there is now no mayor. We have the deputy mayor who is serving in John Tory's place. And she finds herself, you know, yesterday having to um, talk about the fact that the feds and the province have both said, sorry, we're not going to bail you guys out. And I, it's, it's hard to overstate 
what a fiscal crisis this is. The city must absolutely balance its budget. It is the law. And we have now, it's like a, you know, a kid whose parents have both said, no, I'm not going to give you any money. And the kid already bought the concert tickets. So what happens next? Here's Jennifer McKelvey. The 2023 city budget finalized last month also includes a $933 million shortfall due to ongoing COVID-19 costs, again, largely transit and shelter costs. I'm disappointed the Deputy Prime Minister, a Toronto MP, would ignore a direct commitment the federal Liberals made during the last election to the City of Toronto. Okay, so that's kind of coming back to the talking point John Burnside had yesterday morning on our show, where he said, listen, there are 23 Liberal MPs and two independents who used to be Liberals. Uh, Somebody has got to step up for this city. And I wonder just how much the Liberals take this city for granted. And the problem is, you know, if uh, the city were to swing to the Conservatives or the NDP, I'm not sure that would necessarily get us any money either. People have to stop thinking of Toronto as a desert for Conservatives, incidentally, um, or progressive Conservatives, I guess. Because back in the day, you know, Brian Mulroney's cabinet consisted of some pretty significant Toronto MPs, including Michael Wilson, the finance minister. So it is possible to be a Conservative and to get elected in this town. Although one guy who I will not mention by name because he's a contributor here, but he came at me about six months ago and said, stop talking about how I ran for the Conservatives. Okay, fine. Um, But he was running for the Conservatives. And this is probably 10 years ago now. So because it's important we situate this in sort of the trajectory of how the Conservatives have taken a rightward swing. Um, But effectively, they told him he was too progressive. And ultimately, he ended up being flushed as a candidate because he was just too, uh, you know, uh, tolerant of certain things that the party didn't want to talk about. And I'm not going to get all specific because I don't think, you know, it's it's within a certain time frame and um, it doesn't necessarily reflect the party as it exists today. Uh, Stephen Holliday, incidentally, when I said that it looks like the field of candidates for mayor of Toronto is complete, Stephen Holliday is still a question mark. And yesterday he had some thoughts about the budget shortfall. I understand it's really hard for the city to put forward an argument that we're broke when we haven't looked at all of the things that we're doing and prioritized them properly. At some point, though, there are things that the federal government should come to the table, things that are of national interest, whether it's things like infrastructure that keeps this city running and the economy running and the country's economy running, or things like climate change that affect people right across Canada. There is room for federal partnerships, but the city of Toronto can't expect them to bail out the city for everything. That's true. But we do have a legitimate gripe when it comes to things that are federal responsibility. If we're spending money on refugees who are the federal government's responsibility, then the feds should be ponying up those millions. So something that has finally bubbled up. I Honestly, this is like waiting for pasta water to boil because I've been talking about this issue for years. And I think it dates back 10 years now. And... Owing to all of the chaos on the TTC, all of a sudden, cell phone uh, access is becoming a pressing issue. And here's the problem. Uh, Freedom Mobile, or actually, officially, the company is BAI Communications. They got the license from the the city for like 20 years uh, or, or 20 years ago. 
they got the license from the city to provide cell phone service. And the thinking was this, they would put in all the hardware and then all of the other cell phone providers would pay them for the privilege of being able to hop onto that hardware. And the big providers declined to do so. And so there's a lot of pressure on, and I have to think perhaps, you know, this may be the thing that pushes them toward it as irksome as it may be for a cell phone provider to have to pay another cell phone provider for the ability to provide cell phone service. Uh, I have to think that perhaps with all the chaos these days on the TTC, that maybe they're just going to swallow whatever pride may be involved. We're going to be talking with Anne-Marie Aikens later on this morning. She wrote, uh, she, she didn't write it, but she gave a first-person account of ending up in conflict on the TTC and not being able to call for help because there was no cell phone service where she was. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. There's going to be some things to watch for in the beginning of the baseball season. First of all, I guess those with a more expert eye than I have are going to be watching the Blue Jays as a team and wondering, okay, is this going to hold together? Is this going to work? Have we got something going? Uh, another aspect would be this new countdown clock. And during spring training, they made some adjustments to how it's applied. But effectively, the clock applies to the pitcher and to the batter. And it's kind of like basketball where, you know, you got to get it on. You got to get a move on. You got to do something here. And um, for the most part, it seemed people who went to spring training, and I talked with a couple of them, um, liked what this new, I don't know if they're calling it a chalk clock, but what, what this clock was bringing to the game. But I also find it fascinating that over the last 25, 30 years, and I think this has a lot to do with the internet and YouTube and all kinds of other things and shorter attention spans, um, but all sports have been under pressure to figure out how to speed things up. And people simply don't have the time for a full-on baseball game anymore the way it used to unfold. And that's probably sad news to some people who believe in the sort of poetry of baseball and the duel between the pitcher and, and the batter. Um, in golf, the same phenomenon can be seen in this new live uh, league where they do what's called a shotgun start. Normally in golf, you just, you know, you have two or four, sometimes three, uh, but you have the players arrive on the tee box one after the other and go out and it takes hours and hours and hours. In live, somebody starts on every single one of the 18 holes, which means there is this frantic, you know, sprawling around by the hosts and the cameras to get to where the real action is happening because something is happening on all 18 holes all the time. But that's all part of the times that we're living in, and I can only see this becoming more accelerated and compressed moving forward. Um, this is, you know, it's that nobody watches, for example, an hour-long or 90-minute late-night show anymore. They just watch the best three and a half minutes. So speaking of, actually, it's a nice little pivot. Uh, speaking of how technology is changing how we think, how we act, how we consume, there's been a resurgence in dumb phones in the United States, it would seem. And instead of having absolutely everything in your pocket all the time, uh, some people are going back to the basic, the absolute most simple phone. 
Like a we... flip phone? Well, like a flip phone. And I'm trying to think where this was in play recently. I think it was part of a, a, a TV series or something where somebody was like, really? Really? Flip phone? Uh, Aaron Real is going to be reporting on that, but we're still looking for Aaron Real. Okay. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tread water here. Do we have Aaron? Okay. Uh, good morning, Aaron Rael. Or maybe not. Hi, John. Hi. How are you? I'm good. We got you. Okay. So why are people going to dumb phones? Yep, the dumb phone. So <laughs> I think that I say this a lot, and I really do mean it. I think that Generation Z is gonna say this. I'm an elder millennial, and everything that we messed up, they seem to be making right. So. <laughs> They see our utter addiction to smartphones and they've just said no more. We don't want it. And we are seeing an increase in North America. The market for dumb phones, it's pretty much flatlined, but they believe there's going to be a 5% increase in the next five years. If, if nothing else, it could be even more. And this is all based on public health concerns. So unlike the, the sales that you see in the Middle East, Africa, and India, that's where 80% of feature phones are sold. This is a shift, a contingency of young people in North America reverting back to this dumb or middle, minim, excuse me, minimalist phone. So there's several that do it. There's one called Punk. There's one called Light. I did a deep dive on these last night, and I have to be honest with you, I want one. I think it's great. And I think everyone should be using this after 3 p.m. So they're kind of like e-reader screens, those uh, non-blue light emitting screens, things that you'll find on a Kindle. And they have, they'll never have social media. There's no clickbait news, no email, and no internet browser, anything that's anxiety producing. But you can make calls, you can make texts. On some of them, you, you can get access to the internet if you really need it or want it. But it's pretty cool in the sense that you can listen to a podcast you can do all these things that were you know beneficial oh you can get directions so if you're driving and you really need to know where you're going you get directions all the things that are kind of must-haves in terms of functionality without all of the anxiety producing social media and what's also interesting i don't know in the world that we live in particularly you know in in the the first world western world if you can completely eliminate your smartphone and participate in society it, it seems like a very tall order but i think trying this out and using it when you don't necessarily have to be connected all the time is probably great for mental health. Okay, but I'm wondering the attraction, I mean, aside from, you know, mental health, is it that it's cheaper or are people, is this sort of like, uh, what, are, what is the newest trend in dieting? It's fasting. Uh, yes, exactly. That's such a great way of putting it. Um, it. So it is not cheaper. That's kind of why you're like, oh, what's the story with this? Um, it's not necessarily. I mean, listen, it's cheaper than a, a brand new iPhone, but it's about anywhere from 300 to 400 dollars, depending on which one you go with. So it's it is a luxury item as of now. And it's it's very hip. If you look at the branding around any of these, like they're they're cool and you kind of want to it looks like a cool phone from a cool company. So I, I get the sense that this is definitely, a, a, it's a luxury item it, by all stretches of the imagination, but it's also kind of a novelty item. I guess it's like wearing, a, you know, a, a trucker hat a couple years back, something of that nature. <laughs> Aaron, thank you very much. <laughs> have a great day. Good to have you. NBC News Radio National Correspondent Aaron Real. And proof that every few years the youngins come up with some sort of an idea of how to sacrifice something. Um, and I compared it to intermittent fasting, which I don't know if he's still doing it. 
Um, I asked Jim Richards if he wanted to have lunch, and he said, well, and now I'm fasting until late afternoon. And I thought, really? What the? That's the breakfast wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.